that we could come and unburden our souls before you and take the things that frustrate us, the things that confuse us, the things that hinder us, the things that burden us down, the things that we face, the battles, maybe even that we've lost, sins that we've committed, all of those things we can bring to you. And we thank you that you are able to heal us, strengthen us, restore us, bless us, to pick us up. And uh, Lord, we need that so desperately, and we ask you to do that. We want to pray, Father, for healing for those who are sick. We want to pray, Lord, for you to meet needs of those, whatever they may be. Some people may need a job. Some people may need a raise. Some people may need the healing of a, of a relationship, of a marriage, or parents to children and children to parents. Such an important thing. People that are addicted to alcohol and drugs, pornography, those type of things, people that have committed adultery. Father, we want to thank you that you are the God who is able to forgive, but not only forgive, you're also able to restore people. And uh, we want to pray for that, Lord. And we thank you for what Jesus did on the cross when he bore the wrath of God in our place so that we could have a right relationship with you. And we pray for people who do not know the Lord that today they would repent of their sins and they would place their trust fully, totally in the Lord Jesus Christ and be born again. And we pray, Father, as we think about those people in Mississippi and uh, some in Alabama, I understand. And we want to pray for the families of those who were lost. Help them, Lord, in their grief. Help them and comfort them. And we pray for our sister churches that they have members of their church family that are gone because of these storms. We pray for people who are doing cleanup, people that have to deal with insurance companies. And we pray for people who have been hurt and are in hospitals. And we pray for medical personnel and first responders. And we pray for law enforcement and National Guard. All of those type of things that go into that as we well know in this part of the country. Please, please, Lord, help them in all of that. And uh, thank you, Father, for blessing us. It's been a long time since we faced anything like that. And we give you glory and praise for it. And we don't take it for granted. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for meeting our needs. Thank you for the people that you put in our lives that love us and people that we can love and encourage and be strengthened by. And we thank you for our church family and ask you to bless us, grow us, and encourage us as well. And take our hearts now and our minds and fix them on you. As we look at the Word of God, I pray that we wouldn't think about ourselves, but we would think about you. And then as a result of that, that you would pour through your spirit, your blessings out upon us, that our lives might be strengthened and that we might be changed. And we pray all of this would happen for the glory of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you'll take your Bibles and turn to the book of 2 Thessalonians, and uh, we did the introduction to this last week. Now we get into where Paul really expresses some things to them. And uh, so if you'll turn there and... Um, I want you to uh, think about the idea of thankfulness. The Bible says in the last days, perilous times will come. And then it describes them, that people will be lovers of self, and they will be um, unthankful and unholy. And I always found it interesting that it put the two things together. And if you'll think about it, unthankfulness always goes together with unholiness. People that are thankful, they act with gratefulness, 
and appreciation and stewardship and all that kind of thing because they know that what they have belongs to someone else and they're grateful for it. But when you're not grateful for it, when you just say, it's mine, I can do whatever I want to with it, which would include your body, it's my body, I can do anything I want to it and anything I feel like doing, which is not true, of course. And uh, when you think about your possessions, they're mine, I can do whatever, whenever, however, and uh, it doesn't really matter, then you don't take care of things, and you're uh, covetous for other things, which Paul said is idolatry. And so we want to be careful about all of that, because unthankfulness and unholiness seem to walk hand in hand together, and uh, unholiness will lead you to unthankfulness, and unthankfulness will certainly lead you to unholiness. And so Paul expresses thanks here. But before we read on, I want to caution you. Paul is not saying, thank you, Thessalonians, you've been a great crowd. It's not that kind of thing. Thank you, Thessalonians, you've really supported us well or anything like that. He is giving thanks to God for the Thessalonian believers. They are in a hard place. They've been under extreme agonizing persecution. And can you imagine what it must be like if you come to church and uh, you say, where's, where's Joe? And somebody said, hadn't you heard? No, I hadn't heard. He was arrested the other day and put into prison or thrown to lions or whatever the Romans would do to uh, persecute believers at that time. What if you saw a woman and she was obviously distraught, she's crying, and you go up to her in church and you say, uh, can I help you? Can I pray for you? And then she tells you the horrible news that her husband was executed for his faith in Christ just the week before. How would you think life would be if you were terrified that at any moment the doors might be kicked in and people from the government might come in and start arresting people? And they came with clubs where they would beat people and they would do all kinds of things like that and then haul some people off. What would you think about gathering at a time like that? And how would it be to live for Jesus in that type of context? It is even said, and I don't mean to be terribly graphic here, but just so you can understand it, that the Romans were so cruel that they would come to a Christian family and tell them, renounce Christ and say that Caesar is Lord. And of course, they're not going to do that. And they would go to the Father first, most likely, and say, you renounce Christ and say that Caesar is Lord. And he says, no, I'll never do that. Oh, you won't. And so they put a sword to his wife's throat or his daughter's throat or his son's throat. It's even said that they were so cruel that the Roman soldiers would take an infant and they would throw the infant in the air and catch the infant on the sword. Now, how would you stand up to that? It's far too easy to say, well, I would never deny the Lord. And that's what the Apostle Peter said just before he did it. We've got to be careful about those things. And when we read these verses, we've got to keep it in that context. These people are hurting. They are suffering. They are baby Christians. They did not have much theological instruction and so they're confused about some things people have lied to them somebody claiming to be Paul wrote them a letter that messed them all up and so Paul is writing this to straighten them out and then he wants them to know something because when you're under persecution you always question where's God why is God allowing this to happen and what have I done to bring this upon myself 
Now, all of us tend to do that just when life doesn't go well for us. We wonder, what have we done that we would suffer like this? And we can hear the voice of Job's comforters as they said that to Job. There must be sin in your life for this to happen. Well, can't you imagine the Thessalonians are thinking that too? They came out of a pagan religion that taught things like that. And now they're wondering, if we're serving God and He's the victor, then where is He? Why hasn't He come again? Why isn't He rescuing us? And what have we done to displease Him? And so Paul writes right after the introduction saying, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all toward each other, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with retribution all those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels And so you think about Paul as he writes all of this. We're thankful for you for what you are enduring now. It's proof that you're saved. It is sanctifying you so that you're a better citizen of the kingdom than you would be naturally. And by the way, don't take all of this to heart because it's not about you. This is the plan of God and Christ is going to return and everything is going to be set in order and there's going to be perfect justice and you will receive your reward and you will rest with us the apostles and uh, this is all going to be done by the Lord so you look at that and you can see that right here at the very beginning what soothing ministering hopeful words this must have been to this congregation as this letter was read to them and as we think about this this idea of thankfulness here's what we need to understand you and I are under obligation to be thankful to God for our brothers and sisters in Christ now our brothers and sisters in Christ are just like our siblings and our cousins and other people sometimes they're annoying sometimes they're immature sometimes they get on our nerves And yet at the same time, nobody better say anything bad about them or we'll defend the members of our family and uh, we'll do it to the nth degree. And that's the way the Thessalonian believers were in their church. They looked at their church and they loved their church. Not the building, not the facilities, not the programs, not the fun that they had because they didn't have any of that. But they loved each other because they could support each other. They could stand together in the midst of all of the persecutions that they were going through. And Paul said, I want to get in on this, giving thanks to the Father 
for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is something you should do every moment of every day. You are privileged to be called out by God to be a part of his family, a part of his kingdom, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. We should do the same. And it's a mark of our salvation that we love the brethren, that we love the church for which Christ died and gave himself for. And so as we think about these things, uh, let me give you some points to think about. Kind of, you can hang your thoughts on these things. Number one, Paul saw thankfulness not as an option, but an obligation. Okay, it was an obligation, not an option. Well, I'll give thanks if you give me something to be thankful for. That was not Paul's thought process at all. This was something he said, notice the word there, we are bound to give thanks for you. What does the word bound mean? I think of ropes and chains and things like that. Well, kind of, but think of it in a legal sense. When somebody is accused of a crime and the judge orders them to be bound over for trial. That means there will be a trial and they will be there. And so Paul is using this sense in a legal sense saying, what else are we going to do? We can't do anything but give thanks for you. You're saved by the same blood that saved me. Your sins are cleansed just like mine are are cleansed. You are a child of God and a part of his kingdom and an heir of God and a joint heir of Christ just as I am. Now Paul may have been way, way beyond them in terms of maturity, in terms of knowledge, in terms of his spirituality. And these were just baby Christians who were being persecuted, who were confused and who were questioning things. And yet Paul saw them as equals in the kingdom and in the family of God. And he said, what can I do? I can't help. I am obligated to give thanks for you. I wish we felt that same way. We think that we are so much the king of the universe and the king of the hill that if everyone else doesn't measure up to what we think they ought to do and what we think they ought to be and how we think they ought to perform, then we're annoyed by them. We're ungrateful for them. But at the same time, what if something happened to them and that person that didn't annoy you, what if they died this next week and you didn't see them again? How would you feel? There would be something different in in you because you know they are first and foremost a brother and a sister in Christ by the grace of God that saved you. And we're bound together by all of that and that is something deeper than anything that's on the surface, surface. We are the children of God. We're called by His name. We're cleansed by His blood. We're put together in a body. We're given a spiritual gift. We are to exercise that gift for one another, with one another, in the body to which God has placed us so that God is glorified and the work of the church goes on and our mission is carried out. So think of it like this. When the Bible says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God, In Christ Jesus concerning you, he did not say if you feel like it and if you want to and if you like the people because your thanksgiving is not going to the people and there's a place for that, but that's not what we're talking about here. It's going to God for the people that he has placed you with. You've got to see everyone through God's eyes. And by the way, you should look at everyone else the way God looks at you. What if he looked at you the same way you look at other people? You'd be in trouble, big time trouble for that. 
And so that's the first thing that we need to see, that Paul wants to join with them and be involved in everything they were doing because he saw thanks as an obligation and not as something that was simply optional. Thomas Manton, a Puritan who lived from 1620 to 1677, who in England was subject to persecution because of his preaching of the gospel, he said that there's one special duty of the believer, and that is thankfulness. And when I think of special duty, being a military brat, I think about the times when um, soldiers, out of their unit, they had their uh, the mission that the unit was supposed to fulfill. And then there were certain ones that were given special duty assignments, they said. Well, our special duty assignment is to be thankful on top of everything else we do. Praying, giving, assembling, praising, worshiping, witnessing, helping, doing good works, whatever. On top of that, our special duty is to be thankful for everything. Because in Him we live and breathe and have our being. And so think about what uh, the Puritan Thomas Manton said. That's our one special duty in everything. Secondly, notice <clears throat> Paul saw thanks as reasonable. Notice that he uses the term as uh, because your faith grows exceedingly. There's a reason. Man, it's exciting, Paul said. You have every reason to die. You have every reason to scatter. You have every reason to quit. You have every reason to shut down. And yet you haven't. You've held on. I think about our church. How many times over the years since this church was founded have we had the opportunity to close, the opportunity to just shut down, the opportunity to quit, but you haven't because you've remained faithful. And for that, I am very thankful. And I think Paul would probably recognize that as well. And yet in this young baby Christian church, their faith was growing, he said, exceedingly. And they also were growing in love, every one of you, toward each other. And Paul said that even though uh, theologically you're not much, you don't know much, you don't understand much, you're not all that deep, you're easily confused and led astray. And yet in this area, their growing faith and their love for one another, notice he says in verse 4, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations. At the time you would think it would wipe them out, they got stronger. Somebody said that our family and our faith is kind of like a tea bag. When you put it in hot water, it gets stronger. And that's the way the Thessalonian believers were. They just got stronger during that time. And Paul said, we were able to take your testimony and we were able to brag on Jesus and what he has done in you by telling other churches. I mean, I wonder if he had Corinth in mind. Corinth, Corinth wasn't facing the persecution that the Thessalonians were. And uh, they had rich people in their church. They had prominent people in their church. They had every measure of spiritual gift in their church. They didn't really lack for anything. And you know, sometimes <clears throat> that's death to a church. Even Jesus, when he said to John in Revelation, write to the church of Laodicea, because you say we are rich, we are increased in goods and lack nothing. He said, do you not see that you were poor, miserable, blind, and naked? And he said, because you're neither hot or cold, but you lukewarm, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Well, whatever your interpretation of that is, that's not good. 
And you'll find that so many times it's when the church is prosperous and we like to build our big buildings and we like to put on our programs and say we can rival Hollywood and we're just as good as the world is and come to our church and it'll be fun and it'll be great. And then we wonder why overall the church in America is dying. And I think it's because we have not suffered enough to get stronger. There was a boy that was watching a chicken hatch from an egg and that uh, little chick in there is trying to peck his way out of the eggshell and he was having trouble and the little boy thought well I'll help that uh, little chick out and so he pulled the eggshell away so that the little chick is free and the little chick lasted just a few hours and died you know why because it is through the escaping of the eggshell that the little chick becomes stronger and able to withstand the new environment that he is in. And in the same way, there are so many times we want to avoid brokenness, and yet God speaks to us, ministers to us in brokenness. In Psalm 51, David said, A broken heart you will not despise, meaning overlook or pass by. He sees that. Tears are a language, the old song says, that God understands. And it's when you have the broken heart, it's when you have the tears, that's when God particularly ministers to you and in your life. That's when you find the weakness of your flesh and the strength of God. That's when you find out that you can't, but He can. And that's when you stop striving and you start trusting and you find out that God had it under control the whole time and your faith becomes stronger. And our problem is we try to avoid brokenness at all costs. We don't want to expose anything about us that might appear to be broken or off or not quite right. We cover it all up. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. When you're dying on the inside and you desperately need somebody to pray with you, to help you, and to bless you, and to encourage you, and to check on you. But nobody knows because you don't ever give the impression of having anything but just the very best and the greatest in all of your life. And because we avoid those things, and because we're terrified that we're ever going to have to go through a trial, we are not ready for the trials that hit us. And as a result, we don't become as strong as we could. Paul said to this church, your tribulation, the devil meant it for evil, but God meant it for good because you are becoming stronger and you are loving each other more and caring for each other more. Can you imagine? Here's a deacon in the church who's been taken out and imprisoned and now his wife and his four or five children, they had large families in the those days they don't know what they're going to do and the church family says don't worry about it we'll take care of you and their rent is paid and they have food in the refrigerator and uh, gas in their gas tank I know they didn't have those things but you get the point and what happens on all of that those people love the church more than they ever did before and they love God more than they did before and the church becomes more loving by ministering instead of criticizing and instead of backing away. And all of this is designed by the Lord. And the devil wants it to shut us down, scatter us, turn us on each other, and isolate us. And God says, oh, he's got another thing coming. Watch until you see what I do as I work all things together for good. Because these are my people. They love me and they are the called according to my purpose. And so Paul saw thanksgiving as being something that was reasonable look around there's always a reason 
to be thankful, especially in 21st century America. Can you imagine why it would be that any of us would ever be ungrateful? Do you, can you imagine the fact that we would ever think that somehow we don't have enough? Can you imagine how it would ever be in this culture that we would think it's harder to be a Christian and it's harder to raise children and it's harder to stay married and it's just harder to live now than ever? Really? Really? How many friends do you have that have been thrown to the lions? How many people do you know that have had their kids killed, as I mentioned earlier, in front of your very eyes? I mean, it doesn't happen. We are living in, as Charles Dickens said, the best of times and the worst of times because there are things we face that perhaps they didn't face. But it's still, we have all kinds of resources available to us. I mean, we're living in an age where you can get on the Internet and listen to virtually any sermon you want to. Could the Thessalonians do that? No, they didn't even have a Bible completed yet. Paul had to leave within a month of establishing that church. They really were kind of behind the eight ball. And yet we have so much available to us. We should be growing in exactly the same way. And we should be thankful because it's only reasonable that we do that. Thirdly, Paul saw thanks as an encouragement to sanctification. Paul is saying, look, all of this stuff that you're going through, I'm sorry you're going through it. I hate it. You have to go through it. I'm sure he was not happy about that. And he prayed for them and he was burdened for them. When we know that because in 1 Thessalonians, we find out that Paul was so concerned about them that he sent Timothy to go check on them. And he said, and we remained at Athens alone in order to find out what was going on with you. He suspended their mission to check on the Thessalonian believers. Why? He was burdened for them. He cared for them. He was concerned about them. And as we think about Paul in this situation, how he loved them and how he cared for them, then he got the report back. They're growing. And it wasn't just a numerical growth. I'm sure it was. And it wasn't just simply growth in in buildings. They didn't have buildings then. It wasn't growth in political influence. We got our candidate in as mayor or governor or whatever because they didn't have that kind of an influence in those days. And it probably wasn't in terms of money. We're bringing in more offerings than ever before. And our pastor has a private jet or anything like that. And uh, you get it, Pam? And... uh, So when we think about those kind of things, what was he saying? Their faith is growing, and it's not just growing, but notice how he modified that exceedingly. So I could ask you the question, is your faith growing or are you stuck? Have you stagnated? Well, I think I'm still growing. Okay, can you put the word exceedingly on it? And you've got everything. You've got an easy life. You are so comfortable you have food that your ancestors could only dream about eating and you can get it anytime you want in just about any quantity that you want don't know if that'll last forever but that's the way it is right now think about it when you go into a room that's too hot 
You can go to a little box on the wall and you can cool it down. If you go to a room that's too cool, you can go to that same little box and you can make it hot. You didn't have to chop wood. You didn't have to haul wood. You didn't have to mess with coal or anything like that at all. Think about how easy we have it. Think about these Thessalonians and what kind of bedding they had. What did they sleep on? And think about what you sleep on. Oh, this uh, $2,000 mattress is kind of hurting me now. You know, and all of that. And yet, think about how easy it is that we have it. Think about our transportation. Think about all of the things that we have in our life that make things so easy. And think about how easy it is to gripe. And as our comfort level goes up, so does our level of discontentedness. See, a Thessalonian believer would never expect to have a cool room in the midst of a hot summer. So they didn't complain about it. But you do. And so when it's two degrees hotter than you think it ought to be, you complain. And that's the way life is for all of us. And Paul looked at this and he said, I see such good things happening among the Thessalonian church and I want to be in on it. How do I get in on it? By giving thanks for them. And so as we give thanks for things... We are participating in whatever the plan of God is for that. Every problem, every trial, as well as every blessing, every good thing in your life is designed by God to make you more like Him. You should be thankful in those things and even for what those things are doing because God is changing you, God is building you, God is refining you, God is strengthening you, and God is using you because other people are watching and you become an example for them. And so Paul says, says as all this takes place I'm not going to sit back and just shrug my shoulders and say okay sirrah sirrah whatever will be will be I'm going to get in on this by giving thanks for these people because there's a reason for thankfulness and I think what we need to do to help us is dig around and scratch around in your measly awful terrible horrible no good life that's the line from a children's book isn't it and find a reason to be thankful there was a story President Reagan used to tell about a, two little kids. One was optimistic and one was pessimistic. And they uh, took them into a place and they said, we're going to put you in a room and you can have whatever's in the room. And they put them in a room that was about four feet deep in horse manure. And uh, the pessimist just looked around and said, I can't believe they've done this. This is terrible. It stinks. It's awful. It's messy. It's grimy. I can't believe this. You know what the optimist said? With all this horse manure, man, this is great. Why is it great? Because there's got to be a pony here somewhere. That's the way life is for us. What are we going to look at? What are we going to see? What are we going to find even in other people? People, even in other families, even in other churches, even wherever it may be. We need to be thankful for what God is doing, wherever he's doing it, however he's doing it. Because it's reasonable that we should do this. And especially if we see suffering people. Be aware of suffering people. And Paul saw thanks as this encouragement here that was going to help them and help their sanctification. Now, he does speak in here about judgment, and he's telling them, look, this is going to be okay. Just wait. Not now, maybe. Maybe not in your lifetime. But one of these days, the Lord is going to take care of all of this, and it is going to be an amazing thing. Okay? 
And then uh, there was this reassurance that came through Paul giving thanks for them. You mean we're not losers? No, I'm thankful for you. You mean we're not filled with sin and we're being punished for all of this? No, you're growing in the Lord and I am thankful for what he is doing in you. There's something about that. Have you ever had somebody come up and thank you for something you didn't even know you did? I had somebody come up to me one time and they said, thank you for what you said to me back in 1997 or something like that. I had no idea, but they remembered it. And it was sure nice to know that it mattered to them, even if it was something that didn't matter quite as much to me over the next 20-some years, but it mattered to them. That's a good thing when somebody comes up and says, thank you. Maybe it's a, somebody that was a little kid and you taught them in Sunday school, and now they're 40 years old, and they go, thank you for being my teacher. Thank you for the things that you showed me. Man, that's a nice feeling to do that. And Paul is doing that with these people. He is saying, don't get down on yourselves and on your situation and don't let the enemy accuse you and don't let them rob you of your joy because I give thanks for you. Hey, if you've got the apostle giving thanks for you, that's, that's walking in tall cotton, isn't it? And so uh, we, we do that for one another as well. You may not consider yourself of the stature of the apostle Paul and I don't either, but we can walk in his footsteps, can't we? We can do what he wants to do. One of the things with little Charlotte, she's at the age right now to where she loves to mimic. She loves to imitate you. And if you do something, if you say something, she can't really say the words yet, but she can do whatever gesture you do. She can point or she can shake her head or, or whatever it might be. She's a mimic of that. And I think in the same way, we look at Christ and we look at his apostles and we say, I can't do it quite like he did, but I can try. I can mimic it. And it maybe, be with, maybe is being done with baby steps, but it takes time. All of you couldn't walk at one time and look at you today. There's a time you couldn't ride a bike and look what happened later on as you learned to ride the bike. And some of you with sports, the first time somebody threw a ball to you, it hit you in the face and gave you a bloody nose. And now look at you and look and see what you're able to do and all of the things you're able to read and comprehend. It took time. Everybody starts off at zero. And they have to grow and they have to go up. And time and patience and perseverance, all of that kind of stuff happens. But you can't quit. You can't give up. And so we can follow the example of the apostle. And instead of griping about everything that we see in other people, start finding things to be thankful uh, uh, for in them. Because that is the work of God. And as Paul does this, it's reassuring. Paul hasn't abandoned us. Paul's on our side. Paul thinks that we are worth investing in. Man, we thought we were about to be shut down, and yet Paul said, no, you're not. You're being built up during all of this. And so it encouraged them. But he also uh, alludes to, in these passages here, the second coming of Christ. That there's going to be vengeance that is going to be paid for all of those that trouble you. And you are going to enter into rest. And notice the equality here. You're going to enter into rest with us. Well, Do I get the same reward and the same degree of reward as an apostle? Possibly. Depending on what I do with my life and what you do with your life. And how we use our spiritual gifts. God will bless that and God will honor that and God will reward that. We just do our part. 
because the apostles were nothing more than ordinary human beings called for special service. Well, you too are an ordinary human being called for special service. And remember what the Puritan told us, that thankfulness is the special service that we are called to. So put that into practice. Okay, let's kind of finish up here. He said it's the manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God. It proves that you're saved and it also you are a proof in your suffering that God exists and that you are being counted worthy of the kingdom of God. That's such an important, important thing here. And uh, somebody said we would worry less if we praised more. We would worry less if we praised more. Thanksgiving is the, is the enemy of discontent and dissatisfaction. Thanksgiving is the enemy of discontent and dissatisfaction. Will you uh, consider that? We ought to be praising God more, more and more, and teaching our children to praise God and to look for the good things, and we ought to be thankful for the people that are in our lives. Now, the Lord Jesus is coming back, and we've got to be ready for that as well. And so the Bible says, Sing and make music from your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. To the Father for everything in Jesus' name. Pretty well sums it up. And so uh, I would ask you just a few questions here as we conclude this. To whom are you thankful? You know, everybody says, Hollywood people, I'm so thankful. And I always wonder, thankful to, to whom? To some pagan god? I don't know. To nothing? To the nothingness of evolution that brought you here? I'm so thankful that I'm able to be a rich, beautiful, wonderful, successful actor or actress. Well, if there's no God, who are you thankful to? And I would say to you, don't just be thankful as a general rule, thankful to nothing but be thankful to God and make sure your thanks is directed not just toward people or situations or circumstances, but be thankful to God, the God who created you. And then uh, you ought to ask the question, why are you thankful? Well, I'm just a thankful person. Well, why are you thankful? You need to think and rehearse reasons for being a thankful person. That does you good. It trains you to look for those things. You see the horse instead of seeing the manure, right? And uh, why do you express thankfulness? I mean, who cares? If I'm thankful in my heart and I never share it, why does that matter? Well, it matters because there's an exercise in humility in being thankful. You see, when I express thankfulness to you as a congregation, I was thinking about with uh, most of my family standing up here the other day, I think about when we came here and how little our kids were. And how they've all grown up. And I've had people say, how would you do it? How do you, being in the ministry, how do you keep your kids from hating God and hating church and all of that? And you know what I would say to you as a church? Thank you. Because you helped Sammy and me to do this. You know why? Because our kids saw that we weren't just doing this because it was our job. And we wanted to keep a paycheck in. We did it because it was right. And then they saw it in you who are not getting paid for any of this. Who don't have to be here. But you come and you live by your convictions. Because it's the right thing to do. And my kids saw you doing that. And it reinforced that what Sammy and I taught them is real. You see how that all works? 
you had a great part in the fact that Taylor is leading music this morning at First Baptist Church of Searcy and that Jeremy is at First Baptist Church of Mustang on staff there and that Isaac and Jenny are here because they love the Lord because you have made an impact on their life. And so, you know what I say? Thank you. Now, you know what that also did? It just expressed my great humility. You say, how did you express your great humility? Well, you should have been able to see it because I'm writing my book, Humility and How I Attained It. And I'm just about done with it. I'm just trying to find somebody that could really uh, endorse it, that could really put it over the top and tell how great a book it is. But uh, nonetheless, that's a joke. But uh, you know what I was saying when I said thank you? I was saying this. As good as I am, I couldn't do it by myself. I needed you. You helped. You were involved in all of it. You know what I'm saying? I needed you. Sammy and I needed you. And we needed your prayers and we needed your input. We needed those of you who taught our kids in Sunday school and in Awana. We needed those of you who coached them in different things like Upward and some of those type of things that went on. They needed you to be their friend. They needed you to kind of hold them accountable in some things. And that's why they they are where they are today. And what I'm saying is whenever you have a thankful heart, you are acknowledging you didn't do this by yourself. Somebody else was involved. And it was the Lord first and foremost through his people and through circumstances in your life that got you where you are. No one pulls themselves up by their own bootstraps. In fact, it's impossible to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. No one is a self-made man because you didn't create yourself. You didn't give yourself any mental or physical abilities whatsoever. You were just born with those things and you took advantage of them. Good for you for that. But give the glory to God. He's the one that gave you that capability. And think about all of the things that people in the church, what they mean to you, what they have done for you, how they help you, how they encourage you, how they live as examples for you, how they have instructed you, how they have had been loving enough to confront you at times. Think all of us have those stories that have been here any length of time. And so we look at that and we say, Lord, I've griped a lot and I've complained a lot, but I want to just say thank you because I couldn't do this by myself. Nobody lives the Christian life alone or in a vacuum. And uh, that's why you express thankfulness. It helps you to grow in the Lord and to be humble. And what happens when you are thankful? Well, other people are encouraged. And uh, it sets a good example for others who follow along. And it gives glory to the Lord. And uh, why do you express your thankfulness? Because it reassures other people. And it calms them down. And it helps them know how important that they are. And it points to the fact that we're all people in the plan of God. And Jesus is coming back again one of these days. Hopefully very soon. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. What happens when you are thankful? There is such a great dynamic. There's a bonding that takes place. There is uh, a purifying that takes place. We get rid of ungodly pride and arrogance and we lay all of that down and we realize just what God and others have done for us. And so my challenge is, if you have never trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord, you are living like there's no God, there's no purpose, there's nothing. You are it. 
And I want to just say to you, you're not. You need a Savior. You're a sinner who has broken the laws of God. And one of these days, there'll be a price to pay for that, except that God paid the price for us by sending His Son to live that perfect life we could never live, to die on the cross, and to bear the full weight of the wrath of God that you deserved. And if you will trust Him alone as your Savior and Lord, the Bible says you call upon Him and you will be saved. And that also makes saved people like us. You don't have anything to be thankful for, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And that's you, child of God. If nothing else, you can give thanks to God for the fact that he loves you and that Christ died to save you. You can give thanks for your church family. You can give thanks for the plan and the sovereignty of God. The steps of the righteous are ordered of God. And all things work together for good to those who love God. So quit your belly aching and quit complaining. And let's put on thankfulness like Paul did because he saw it as an obligation, not just an option. And uh, he saw reasons for thankfulness. And uh, as we look at this thing, we saw that as he did this, it had an effect on other people, and it brought the spotlight back to God, which is where it belongs. And all God's people said, God help us to be thankful people. Father, we give thanks to you for your creation. We give thanks to you for the way that you made us in the image of God. We give thanks to you for the way you put us in families. We give you way, uh, praise for the way you have saved us. And we thank you that you have put us in the family of God and the kingdom of God. And we thank you for the place that is reserved for us in heaven because of your great love. We thank you for our church family and thank you that you have put us here and all that it means to us. And Father, help us to truly have thankful and grateful hearts. We're tired of running around like spoiled toddlers. We want to grow up. We want to mature. And we want to be a blessing to you and a blessing to your people. Help us to follow in the footsteps of the Apostle Paul. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.